Hello, Parkview. This is Thomas Hoke. I'm welcoming you to another episode of the Parkview Groups podcast. This episode is for the week of March 20th through 26th. And uh, my goal each week is to inform and guide group members and train group leaders at Parkview to make whole disciples. And so this week we are learning from Acts 23 verses 12 through 24 verse 27, which is a big chunk. And uh, luckily I have a guest here who's going to lead you through that, Andrea. Say hi, Andrea. Hi, Andrea. Oh, okay. And uh, and then for the training segment, I want to get you thinking a little bit more about prayer for your group members. So let's remind ourselves what we're doing here. Community groups make whole disciples by cultivating an environment of relational safety where the spiritual initiative of the group leads to the growth of each member. Let's take it away. Okay, I just have one thing to mention to you this week. As a staff, we want to pray for you. And one way we would like to do this is by creating a little photo wall in our office so that we are often reminded of your lovely faces throughout the week. And we're remembering to pray for you. Uh, Our admin team is working hard on making that happen. But there's only one problem. We need your pictures. Yes, we do. Uh, And so if you haven't yet, I hope you're already familiar with the Church Center app or the Planning Center uh, website that we use to organize so much of what we do at Parkview. And it's likely that you have a little directory profile on there. Uh, I have my app loaded up right now, and it's very simple to go and add a photo. If you go to the bottom there, there's a little option that says me, and it says, hello, Thomas, right at the top, my profile and settings. If I click on it, boom, go to directory directory profile, and then you can include your, you can upload a photo right there. So uh, easy to do and would be a huge help, not only for us and praying for you, but also just for others to know who you are and be uh, be available to reach out to you. Uh, so would love to have a bunch of smiling faces on there. So would love if you would take that step. If you have any trouble doing that, you can always email the office, office at parkviewchurch.org. Or if you're more of the physical media type person, maybe you want to snap a Polaroid and drop it by the front office, that would work too. Uh, So that is all for our inform segment. Excuse me. Uh, So let's move on. Okay, let's work through this big old passage. Uh, We want to get the big picture of the passage. We want to navigate any speed bumps that could disrupt discussion and give you a couple places to land an application. And when I say we, what I mean is she. Right, <laughs> not me. Uh, so I'm joined by Andrea Gaston, our women's director, uh, and she is going to take us through this passage, doing all those things that I just mentioned. So welcome, Andrea, and Thanks take so it much. away. Thank you. Yes, I'm so excited to be able to go through this passage with you. Um, what I find is often when I spend a lot of time in a passage, I just I find so much. I don't know if that's um, the case for everyone else. Amen. I hope so. Amen. But there's so many little little gems in here. Um, so it's a good thing it's a big chunk. I was telling Thomas this earlier. It's a big, good thing it's a big chunk because we mm-hmm. spend a lot of time here. Mm-hmm. Um, but I am picking up on the part of the story for Paul that we've been going through in Acts um, about a plot to kill him. Oh, my. So I get the very dramatic parts. Yikes. So um, when I was reading through this prepping, it kind of reminded me a little bit of like The Hobbit or Lord of the Rings, where there's a lot of action, but then there's a lot of travel. Mm. And that's a lot of the story is like Mm -hmm. going back and forth and back and forth. So Mm -hmm. put that in your mind if you're a visual uh, learner um, for this this little segment here. 
So we're going to start in 23, and actually I'm going to back up um, to verse 11, Mm -hmm. because I believe that is very pertinent for us to get into this. So this is the part where it says, um, uh, the following night, the Lord stood by him, Paul, and said, take courage, for as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. And then we move into this part of the passage, starting in 12, when it was day, the Jews made a plot and bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. So one thing right here already, I mean, I know we're, for, we're first, we're fresh in, but there's a juxtaposition here, which is one of my favorite words, um, of night and day, dark and light already, where the Lord in the night has given Paul courage. And in the day, the the plot that the Jews are, are have been considering talking about is come to light. Um, it is now time to make that together. And another word for that oath is curse. They have cursed themselves with a curse um, is a different translation of that. And so moving on, there were more than 40 who made this conspiracy. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have strictly bound ourselves by an oath to taste no food till we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, you, along with the council, Give notice to the tribune to bring him down to you as though you were going to determine his case more exactly. And we are ready to kill him before he comes near. So a couple things already in here. What is the council? What is this that they're referring to? And we may have covered this in previous podcasts. I know some of the language has already been uh, defined. But for clarity, um, as we're going through this, just a reminder, that's the Sanhedrin. That is the highest legal, legislative, and judicial body among the Jews. So there really is no further up you can go. This is like um, the Supreme Court. That's it. They rule it, and that's what it is. <laughs> and the Tribune is an officer over many soldiers. Um, different places I've read, 600, 1,000. Basically, it's a person who knows how to take charge of, of something and people. And then interesting here, um, they state, we are ready to kill him before he comes near. Not, not justice being served, but actually breaking Ten Commandments of murder. Um, And so that's an interesting uh, point where these Jews, and with the knowledge of the Sanhedrin, the highest council, um, they have admitted before them this plan to commit murder, um, which is a basic, basic commandment Mm. to be breaking. Um, And then we read on that. um, Now the son of Paul's sister heard of their ambush. So he went and entered the barracks. That's the place where they were keeping Paul. Um, and they told, and, and he told Paul, Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the tribune for he has something to tell him. Now for this part, I was reminded about Esther when there was a plot, um, against the King and Mordecai overheard and brought it to the, um, Esther. And she, I mean, he was, he wasn't rewarded, but he was, a, a, until later, but he was a central part of mm-hmm. the story there. So this is a, a very small detail, but it, it has so much, um, meaning and matter to it so sometimes I think you know what does what do what do we have details for I'm a detail person so I would like to kind of go off on these rabbit trails or as I've heard some people call it a bird walk um and I can get lost down there so let's not do that so let's come back um and so the centurion took uh Paul's nephew and brought him to the tribune and said Paul the prisoner called me and asked me to bring this young man to you as he has something to tell you to say to you The tribune took him by the hand and going aside, asked him privately, what is it that you have to tell me? So interesting that the tribune would take this guy by the hand and set an aside. So kind of like a fatherly move there 
like kind of consoling. And um, mm-hmm. I mean, I wonder too, like, was that intimidating mm-hmm. to, you know, go tell Paul, mm-hmm. oh, now go tell this head dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and he said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as though they were going to inquire somewhat more closely about him. But do not be persuaded by them. For more than 40 of their men are lying in ambush for him, who have bound themselves by an oath neither to eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for your consent. And consent in this is basically agreement to bring Paul, not um, not the tribune's consent to Paul being ambushed, mm. just for clarity. So the tribune dismissed the young man charging him, tell no one that you have informed me of these things. Kind of like a police tip. It's kind of like, you know, like, mm-hmm. oh, don't tell anyone you tip me off. Mm-hmm. All right, now the plot thickens here. Um, so the centurion, uh, nope, the tribune called two of the centurions and said, get ready 200 soldiers with 70 horsemen and 200 spearmen and go as far as Caesarea. Caesarea. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Um, just say it fast. You know, just say it fast it, and If you're confident. <laughs> um, at the third hour of the night. So this is about 65 miles, and I looked it up on a map. That's about as far as Iowa City would be to the Quad Cities. Mm. Um, so they're taking this big, like, to-do um, about around 9 p.m. Mm. So in, in the night, they are escorting Paul out. And he instructs them also, provide mounts to Paul um, for Paul. So that also shows us, my pages are out of order, that also shows us that um, there is a great speed to this. There is an urgency to going. And so that is interesting. They're not expecting Paul to walk on foot like a prisoner. They're not expecting him to be dragged or anything like that. They're actually honoring him, um, giving him a horse. Mm -hmm. And so the ride and bring him to safety to Felix, the governor. Um, And so he wrote a letter. The Tribune wrote a letter to this effect. Claudius Lysias, saying it fast, Mm -hmm. to his excellency, the the (laughs) governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them when I came upon them with the soldiers and rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman citizen. And desiring to know the charge for which they were accusing him, I brought him down to their council. I found that he was being accused of questions about their law, but charged with nothing deserving death or imprisonment. And when it was disclosed to me that there would be a plot against the man, I sent him to you at once, ordering his accusers also to state before you what they have against him. Now... I have to ask, is that what happened? Hmm. Is is that how it happened? If memory serves me right, and I believe it does because I've read this so many times, <laughs> that's not how it happened. He did not come upon this. He did not learn of Paul's citizenship, jump in and be the hero, and yet that's what he's stating. Um, so love love that there's a, an explanation here, but want to want to line it up against what we've all already read as well. But it is natural to kind of put yourself in the best light, put yourself in the hero role. Um, and it seems like in this case, that was a good thing for Paul, that he absolutely. was self-interested. Absolutely. <laughs> He's got skin in the game here. Yeah. Um, partially because, you know, Paul was bound in chains as a Roman citizen. Mm-hmm. And that was like... No boy, no. No, yeah. absolutely not. So he's mm-hmm. kind of saving his own skin here, mm-hmm. too. And it's interesting, too. I think Wade pointed this out. It's kind of an echo of Jesus being, you know, bound brought before the St. Hedron, brought before the governor, brought mm-hmm. before, you know, everyone saying this is who this person is. And mm-hmm. here we are again. Mm-hmm. Um, and so moving on, uh, the soldiers, according to their instructions, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris. 
And on the next day, they returned the barracks, letting the horsemen go on with him. When they had come to Caesarea and delivered the letter to the governor, they presented Paul also before him. On reading the letter, he asked what province he was from. And when he learned that he was from Cilicia, Cilicia, um, he said, I will give you a hearing when your accusers arrive. And he commanded him to be guarded in Herod's praetorium. Sounds good. It's another word for palace. Mm. I'm going to use palace there. (laughs) A lot easier to say. Um, And so a couple things in here to um, just, I think, be interested by is that Mm -hmm. um, I think we already talked about the distance. So basically what is happening is there's this huge party of horses and spearmen and like soldiers Mm -hmm. escorting Paul out. And they brought him by night to Antipatris, and which is about from Iowa City to Cedar Rapids. Mm-hmm. So not far, but probably in that day farther than for us. Mm-hmm. And so that was about halfway to where they were taking him. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that, um, they it, they learned that Paul is from Cilicia, mm-hmm. and which is modern day Turkey. Mm-hmm. It always helps me to look at maps. Mm-hmm. I'm a visual person. So charts, maps, graphs, love them. Mm-hmm. So I looked up all of these things on Google and it was very helpful. Yeah. Um, another thing that I find very interesting is that in Mark 13 verse nine, it says this, this is Jesus speaking. It says, but be on your guard for they will deliver you over to councils and you will be beaten in synagogues and you will stand before governors and Kings for my sake mm-hmm. to bear witness before them. How interesting that Jesus's words we get to see being played out. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. So it may not look like we want it to look, but mm-hmm. Jesus's words are fulfilled. Mm-hmm. All right. So this moves us right into chapter 24. And after five days, the high priest Ananias came down with some elders and a spokesman, one Tertullus. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a professional advocate or a lawyer um, for ease of understanding there. Mm-hmm. And they laid before the governor their case against Paul. And when he, being Paul, had been summoned, Tertullus began to accuse him, saying, Since through you, that is being Felix the governor, we enjoy much peace. And since by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain or to weary you no further, I beg you in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man a plague, one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader to the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him about everything of which we accuse him. The Jews also joined in the charge, affirming that all these things were so. Now, I think something that we need to know about Felix at this point um, because we're hearing all these wonderful things. These, these sound great. Peace, reforms being mm-hmm. made for the nation. Mm-hmm. Felix was actually known, um, his administration was notorious for being corrupt, mm. um, for cruelty. Like he actually was a very bad dude. Okay. So a interesting. Little, little flattery yes, going on here. Yes, I think sure. a lot of flattery yep. here. Um, and so I want, I want you to keep this in mind as we keep reading and we get into Paul's response. Mm-hmm. So. Let's move in that direction. And when the governor had nodded to him to speak, Paul replied, knowing that for many years you have been a judge over this nation, I cheerfully make my defense. 
you can verify that it is not more than 12 days since I went up to worship in Jerusalem, and they did not find me disputing with anyone or stirring up a crowd, either in the temple or in the synagogues or in the city. Neither can they prove to you what they now bring up against me. But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. So I always take pains to have a clear conscience toward both God and man. Now, after several years, I came to bring my alms to the nation and to present offerings. While I was doing this, they found me purified in the temple without any crowd or tumult. But some Jews from Asia, they ought to be here before you and to make an accusation should they have anything against me. Or else let these men themselves say what wrongdoing they found when I stood before the council, other than this one thing that I cried out while standing among them. It is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. Now, what did you hear that was different with Paul's response? Any flattery? Not so much. No. Just states the obvious. You've been a judge over the nation. And then he moves on. It's kind of like Dwight Schrute. It is your birthday. Yes. Yes. More of a <laughs> you statement. You have been a judge. <laughs> yes. It is a statement of fact rather yep. than an ex- exclamation of mm-hmm. anything further. Um, and so I think that is something for us to pay attention to when we are in conversation, when we are in a place specifically of judgment from mm. man mm. is not to get sidetracked by the fear of man, mm. but to just be so clear about what God's called us to in that moment is present the gospel, present mm. God. Mm. Um, and then at near the bottom of, um, or I guess the middle of Paul's response, he talks about bringing alms to his nation and presenting offerings. And I always think when I hear the word alms, like alms for the poor, mm-hmm. and I hear it in a British accent, which I can't <laughs> do, obviously. Um, so basically he was bringing the funds that he is, he's raised back to Jerusalem. Mm. Um, and so he's doing good work. Mm-hmm. He's actually helping um, many people in this process. And he, by following what the leaders had said about, you know, fulfilling the, the vow in the mm-hmm. temple, mm-hmm. he didn't have time. He's just pointing out fact. I didn't have time mm-hmm. to do any of the things that mm-hmm. I'm being accused of. Mm-hmm. So he's he's just pointing to facts. Mm-hmm. Um, and so moving on. But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave order to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be presented prevented from attending to his needs. Now, this area that they're in, um, Caesarea, mm-hmm. do you recall that um, Cornelius, the Roman centurion, mm. um, who became a believer, is also in this area? So it's quite, it's, it's quite possible mm. that that could be an avenue of which God had already paved the way for Paul. Mm. And after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, what a name, who was Jewish, and he presented for Paul. He sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. This is another way that Felix could have been made aware of the way mm-hmm. because Drusilla would have known about this. Mm-hmm. She would have been very well versed in this. She was also not a great character in this story. Mm. Um, she had been married before, was living with this guy, left her first husband for this guy who was not a great guy. Mm. Um, so making a lot of power moves mm. in her life, but maybe not for the best. Mm. Um, and so... As, as Paul reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, judgment, Felix was alarmed or frightened and said, go away for the present. 
when I get an opportunity, I will summon you. Isn't that what we usually do too when Mm. we hear about um, righteousness, self-control, the things that we struggle with? Mm. Because obviously both of them have struggled with those things. Mm -hmm. Um, We want to push that away. Mm -hmm. And so that's a natural reaction. It says, at the same time, he, Felix, hoped that money would be given by Paul. He hoped for a bribe. Mm. We're going to spell that out. He Mm -hmm. hoped Paul would bribe him Mm -hmm. with money. Um, Because even though Paul was poor, he had friends. Mm -hmm. And so... Felix sent for Paul often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. And Mm. desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Mm. And prison here is, again, with a lot of liberty, freedom. I mean, Paul's walking around Herod's palace. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, not even an ankle bracelet on him. They Mm -hmm. didn't even have those. Mm -hmm. But being guarded. No GPS monitor. No GPS monitor. But being being guarded by um, soldiers, Mm -hmm. having someone there. Um, also at work in the gospel, as we would assume Paul would do. And so I am wired. I am designed by God to um, to be aware of, of authority, to be aware of structures, policies, um, procedures. It's my HR hat a lot of the time here at Parkview. But what I find in here, um, the over like a big idea, a big aim of this is that God uses structures of power that he puts in place mm. to accomplish his purposes. Mm. I mean, look at the the juxtaposition again. I did warn y'all, it's a favorite word of mine, that Mm. everything that should have been righteous was unrighteous and everything Mm. that should have been unrighteous was righteous. Mm. Justice, injustice, everything's flipped. Mm -hmm. The Sanhedrin, the highest legal authority of the Jews were complicit in murder. Mm. The uh, tribune, the governor, who was a terrible person, Mm -hmm. um, all worked for Paul's justice. Mm -hmm. Not like intentionally, mm. but that's how it played out mm-hmm. because of God's providence and his sovereignty over everything. And so what is the purpose of that? To glorify Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Look at the opportunities Paul had to talk about the way, mm-hmm. to, t- to present fact, to respond, and not, not in passion mm-hmm. like we sometimes see Paul get mm-hmm. into, but just facts, mm-hmm. which I know I struggle with. If, I'm, if someone's saying something that's not true about me, I want to fight them. Mm-hmm. Like, Internally and sometimes just externally, I need to go do some kickboxing real quick mm-hmm. and get out in the frustration. But in this, we don't see that. We mm-hmm. don't see Paul getting frustrated, impatient. Mm-hmm. He waits till a proper time to be speaking um, in response. And so I just have a couple questions. This to, to me, this brings up is, is there a place or a person that God is leading you to speak the truth of Jesus Christ, though it may cost you, mm. though it may be in a place that's uncomfortable, though it may be in a place where you're feeling that maybe there's a misunderstanding about mm. you, is there a place to respond? Mm. And then thinking about Paul being in prison or, you know, house arrest or whatever you call it for two years. Whew, that is some time. Mm-hmm. And they didn't live as long as we do. That's mm. a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so my other question is just, have you been in spiritual conversations for longer than you'd like? Mm. They take time. Yeah. I find that the even Paul, his story was not immediate. It was immediate mm-hmm. in transformation, mm-hmm. but the coming to that place. I mean, consider the Christians of the time. Who was praying for him? Mm-hmm. How long were they having that mm-hmm. those prayers? And so don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Look towards Christ. Look towards the hope we have in him to do what he wants to do, which mm-hmm. is bring salvation, bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to everyone, mm-hmm. including governors, including those in authority over us. And so where are we looking for? Where are we aware of 
opportunities to continue to speak the gospel in those places. Mm. So that's what I see as a big aim that is coming out of this passage. Mm -hmm. Uh, The beauty of the Bible is that the Lord reveals truth to us. Mm. And like I said at the beginning, we can mine truth. Mm-hmm. There's so many things to be found. So mm-hmm. that's what the Lord, I, I believe, has brought to my attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd be very interested to see what other people see, mm-hmm. um, what the Spirit reveals to them in this too as an overall big idea. Mm-hmm. But yeah, just big idea, couple couple of thoughts along the way and a couple, couple of questions. Awesome. Well, thank you, Andrea, for all your hard work, not only with this, but in your role as our Women's Ministry Director. Um, and no. Let's uh, move on to the training segment. So uh, let's do it. All right. So group leaders and uh, those who are along to learn, I'm glad you are here. This is the training segment. I want to talk to you about prayer. I tried to do this last week and I forgot my book and I'm glad you are stuck around for this part. So here's what I want to ask you. I want to ask you, what are your group members learning about prayer? What are they learning about prayer from your group? Now, prayer is an interesting thing. It is so foundational, so fundamental in the Christian life. And yet, as I've reflected on this with a bit of conviction, to be honest, for myself as a leader, prayer isn't something we often mention in sermons. I don't know if you've noticed that, you know, unless something is sort of explicitly mentioned, uh, prayer, maybe we're going through a psalm or something like that. Jesus is praying. It's just not something we really mention much. That's I feel conviction about that. I feel like that's a mistake. Um, prayer is a, a legitimate application of many, if not most, <laughs> passages in the Bible. It's something we ought to be praying about, but often I think in, in our concern to be read, readily, simply applicable with clear pla- practical results, um, which is a good thing, we can sometimes neglect addressing that in sermons. Anyway, it's not something we talk about. That's my point. <laughs> um, it's something that we do on Sundays, Um, and I hope we do it more and more, but it's not necessarily a a place where I would expect people to have a huge exposure to life-changing prayer necessarily, although I hope there's good modeling happening. As I consider the place of prayer in the life of our church, it seems to me that the place where we will be most deeply formed, our people will be most deeply formed in our prayer lives, is among our friends, our Christian friends, who are most directly bearing burdens with us, for us, and for that, I hope... That means in community groups. So let me ask that question again. What are your group members learning about prayer from you in your group? Uh, and of course, it's one thing to say things about prayer. It's another thing to sort of act it out and show what, uh, what we mean, that we're serious, right? So how, how do you pray in your group? How do you pray in your group? What is the content of it? What is the, the format of it? When do you pray? What do you pray about? What is, what is the topic of prayer that often prompts prayer? Here are some things I, and I'm going to work through, basically some things I think we could all agree we want, to, we want to form whole disciples, right? And so here are some things I just think that come to mind when I think of what does a healthy, robust, well-defined disciple look like in the realm of prayer. And then I want to just ask, what would it look like or what does it look like for you to form people in that aspect of their prayer lives in your group? Um this, by the way, comes mainly from my own conviction that we have not done, my group has not done a great job of this. Um, so keep that in mind if, if this feels like an attack. It is not. <laughs> it is my reflections on uh, myself, basically. So hear me out. Here's some things I think we all want to see in our people's prayer lives. Okay, number one, a priority for prayer. 
What I mean is that we see prayer not as the last step to take when all actual practical measures have been exhausted, um, not you know as is sometimes called a Hail Mary, which of course that's coming from, we think of uh, Catholic people might pray a Hail Mary, and then when you watch a football game, uh, you see the very last play, they, they chuck up the ball you know, with one second left, hoping against all hope as a last resort to, to score a touchdown on the last play and somehow win the game. It would be a total miracle if this worked, right? That is not how we see prayer. Rather, it is a priority for us, something we can't forget or miss, can't leave out, can't, can't leave it for, oof, let's get real, can't leave it for the last two seconds of our meeting um, because we did all the important work figuring it out with our intellects by discussing the passage, which I love too, but doesn't show a priority for prayer, does it? Um, we need a priority for prayer and we want to train our people to see that priority for prayer by modeling it, by, by training them, by pointing it out when we see it in a passage because prayer is our ultimate connection to the power of God. What, what more do we need really? Um, so my question to you, what kind of prayer culture in a group would help your people form a priority for prayer? What could you do that would communicate to them prayer is really important for us? It's vital for us. Okay, next thing. I, I would hope we'd all want to see a devotion to prayer. Now, that might sound like the same thing. Here's what I mean. That prayer is not a box to check, but a person we are meeting. That when we pray, we really sense, we really believe God is among us. God is listening to us, hearing us. God is responding to us. Um, is there a sense of transcendence in prayer in your people's lives? Um, this, this gets at sort of the experience of the reality of God. Um, are we praying in a way that is, okay, not like humdrum, we're sort of very serious people, but do we pray in a way that demonstrates that we, we're, we really believe God is with us? What kind of prayer culture in your group would help people form a devotion to prayer in this way, a sense that God is really among us. Next, how about desperation in prayer? We want to see in our people a desperation for prayer, desperation in prayer as we pray, a sense of neediness, a sense of real sort of uh, learned, felt, experienced, real helplessness apart from God's intervening power. That we're not praying as sort of a, you know, God, if you get to this, that would be great, but we'll probably be okay without you. But rather, looking to God, you know, this comes up especially for me as I think about, you know, the content of our prayers. That we are, we're looking to God not just for the things that we obviously or we sense that we can't change on our own, but for spiritual power to face the deepest problems in our lives, the things that we really know are, are a struggle for us. Okay, so here, this some of you might say, Thomas, this is, this is like a pet peeve for you. It might be. I don't know. But often I feel frustrated when uh, I'm praying with a group of people, especially over a long period of time, and I sense that our prayer, or I notice that our prayer is often only or mostly concentrated on things like job troubles or grandpa's knee or a difficult school exam coming up, um, things like that, things that clearly people are sensing. You ask for prayer because you know, I can't do this on my own. I need divine intervention. And it's telling to me when, when in a community, the only thing that we sense really needs divine intervention is, you know, that kind of list. 
Now, that's just a that's just a data point, right? I don't know exactly what that means. It could mean that we're not all feeling vulnerable enough to share, and that's what, there's you need a different prognosis, different different method to sort of address that as a leader. It could be, and I I often think this is the actual answer is often I think okay, I I, I sometimes call this consistent practice this kind of prayer, PO prayer, petitions only, as in just tell me God sort of the to-do list of things I need as revealing that those are the only areas of life where where God's transcendent power is really needed right now. As in, you know, oh, what do I really need from the Lord? What do I what is what do I actually lack the the human savvy and uh, cleverness and capability to solve on my own? Where is where are the only places where I, I know I actually need the Lord? Uh, and that's the list. The difficult school exam, a tough season at work, grandpa's knee, whatever it happens to be. When in reality, we rely on God for life and breath and everything. And most, I mean, walk the Christian life with any seriousness for almost any period of time. And you realize the ability to change our hearts, the ability to influence those around us to understand and see Christ for all of his glory and beauty if we're being spiritually serious ourselves, we will regularly come to a place of deep desperation for the Lord's intervening power. Not a single millisecond of our lives, spiritually speaking, physically speaking, any in any dimension, is lived apart from God's sustaining power. Not a single one. Some of us have had, have had really intense personal experiences of this reality. Does your group's prayer life, your prayer life, this is where we've got to have good character as leaders. We have to really have a felt need for God's intervening power regularly so that they can learn it from us. This is something that I think is much better caught than taught, right? Do we demonstrate that reality? Um, I've, I've told you guys before, my, my, the best question I have for this, and I do not have all the answers, but uh, is, is I'll regularly ask when people will mention things like this, First, I want to just address with compassion what I care about grandpa's knee. And I especially care about their experience of grandpa's knee and what it's doing to their soul to suffer, um, knowing that someone that they love is in pain. Um, but I also want to say, tell me, what do you need from the Lord to address that situation faithfully? What does your soul need right now in order to navigate what you're, what you're facing, knowing that grandpa is suffering? Um, and take it to the dimension of their real needs for God's real power. So that was the longest one of all. But my point, let me grab my piece of paper again. Is there a sense of desperation in prayer? And what kind of what kind of things could you do as a leader in your group? What kind of culture could you develop where people would form a sense of desperation in prayer, a sense of neediness for God? That is the real fuel to actually pray uh, earnestly. Okay. Last one, an expectation in prayer, a sense of expectation in prayer. We certainly want our people to grow to expect God to do great things in response to prayer. Um, I'm going to misquote Tim Keller quoting someone else. says, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring. For his grace and power such, none can ever ask too much. If people only had the transcripts of our group's prayers, what kind of God would they think that we are praying to? Would they think that we are sort of praying to a provincial deity uh, sovereign over 10 square miles of our city? Or would they think, now this is a God who, who takes some dealing with? Uh, 
Okay, God is with us in prayer. When we pray, we are not sort of sending a a, a humble diplomatic request to someone who is vaguely interested in occasionally helping us with our needs. Prayer is actually fundamentally an exercise in gospel belief. After all, why should God listen to us at all? We're sinful people. What business does he have fooling around with our needs? Doesn't he have more important things to do? The answer is no. And the reason is because when we become Christians, we become united to Jesus. And the, here's how you here's the easiest way to answer this. Do you think God listens to the prayers of Jesus, which we know he is praying to the Father. He's sitting in his right hand petitioning his Father. Um, do you think he listens to Jesus? <laughs> Why? Why does the Father listen to Jesus? Well, you might say because he's a, he's it's his son. It's his perfect son. He's never done anything wrong. He's never given him any reason to to not listen to him and he dearly loves him. Exactly. And because our lives, becoming a Christian means we are united to Jesus, united to him in his death, united to him in his life, so that Paul can say, the Apostle Paul can say, we have been seated with Christ in the heavenlies. And so what that means is that God is not just vaguely interested in sending us a little bit of help from time to time. God listens to our prayers as if they were the prayers of his perfect son. What what therefore, what kind of expectations ought we have in prayer? Sheesh is how the young kids say it. And so often, I think my lack of prayer reveals not just a sort of a vague sense of a lack of expectation, but even a lack of gospel belief that, that I'm not really believing that God actually regards me like that. When I come to him, he sees all of Christ's perfection and none of my mess. How ready is he to help me? So ready. Could not be more. He is, he, there's nothing he's more interested in. And can you imagine being part of a group of people that is so connected to that reality and, and sitting in a circle with them and praying with them to the God who is with them, to the God who is utterly for them? I want, I want in on that. That sounds like heaven on earth. And that's exactly what God is doing. So this is hard <laughs> and it's worth it. Uh, and so with an expectation, how do we, how do we build that up? An expectation of prayer uh, to develop whole disciples in our group who are formed by that expectation, a sense of expectation. Uh, that's a great question. Here's some practical ideas. I don't want to leave you hanging in a, over a pit of theoreticalness. So here's some practical ideas. Number one, what if you just threw a wrench in the works of your, the way your group normally works by just saying, hey, you know, and you don't have to say this, but when everyone gets here that we know is coming, we're just going to go right into prayer. Even if it's during the meal, even if, whatever, or if it's at the beginning of your discussion time. If you want to get people's attention, mess with the routine, okay? We learned that when we started messing with the chairs at Central Campus, okay? If you want to get people's attention, mess with their chairs, mess with the routine. Uh, it communicates something significant. In the case of the chairs at Central, it communicated, we care about the people here, Right? We care about uh, the space here. We care about, especially now, you heard about us talking about roping off a couple of aisles at the back at Central, and that's because we care about new people. Um, anyway, so throw a wrench in the works by, by saying, instead of saving prayer for the end, which is the typical way we do it, uh, we're going to do it at the beginning. And we're gonna, or maybe you already do that and you flip it around. 
Here's another one. Ask a group member that you think could have leadership potential. By the way, slip me their name. But if you think they have leadership potential, hey, say, hey, Sean, Susie, uh, why don't you, we, we want to grow in prayer. Would you mind just taking some evening this week, sit down and think of a different way for us to pray, a way that you think would help us all grow. Something something a little off the wall. Um, we want to spend, I don't know, give them a time, 15 minutes praying. Can you come next time and just lead us in that? Have them do that. How, what if you just changed it up? Pray, if you normally pray in a big group, pray in pairs. Pray in smaller groups. Pray in a large group if you normally do it in small groups. Pray through scripture. Print a psalm. Print one of the prayers of Paul and pray that together. Um, go from the phrases that are in there and use them to launch into prayer. Pray while kneeling. Pray, pray while standing up. Uh, I had a friend when I was doing college ministry who learned, I think it was from Nepal, when he was in Nepal, the, the Christians in this church, they all prayed out loud at the same time. It's Just try something different. Try something different. Shake it up. Uh, how about this? What if you uh, insisted on praying kingdom-minded prayers by using a tool like operationworld.org. Maybe you've heard of this. You can Google it, Operation World. They have a country of the day every day with specific prayer points to pray. Today, I think it was mm, Bulgaria. And you just go on there, and they will tell you how to pray, and you guys can pray for a country, pray for a Parkview Global Worker. Um, one group I know of has a pe people of prayer list where they have consistent prayer for the, the lost people that each group member is pursuing with Christ, and they just pray for those people and pray for one another. I hope you like this uh, fast pace. <laughs> okay, I'm going to keep going. Uh, how, what if when needs come up in your group, um, just in the context of conversation even, or even while you're discussing a group, if you come to a point where you say, man, that's a real need, that you stop and pray for them right away rather than sort of relegating them for the special prayer time, uh, what if you communicated pr to them that prayer is to be is such a priority that we can't even wait till the end? Um, what if, here's my last one, what if at the end, um, instead of saying, well, once the discussion has kind of died down, then we'll transition to prayer time, what if you said prayer is such a priority that you, you say, Brian, this week you are the prayer police, <laughs> and it is your job at 648, whatever the time is that you need to reserve for prayer to say, no matter what is happening, even if I'm mid-sentence, you say this to them in front of everyone, even if I'm mid-sentence, even if I'm saying something interesting for once, <laughs> you say, it's your job to make us pray, okay? Because we cannot forget to pray. It is so important for us. And you are the prayer police for this week. Um, just to communicate to them how significant prayer is. Now, I've really run on here. Thank you for, for, for thinking through these things with me. This is really worth our time to consider how our people are formed in prayer, connected to the God of the universe through Christ and his spirit within us. So I hope this has been helpful. And hey, it would be wrong for us not to conclude with prayer. So pray with me. Heavenly Father, we love you. We honor you. We want you to be more and more significant, play a bigger role in our lives in the lives of our group, in the lives of our people, in the lives of our neighbors. And so we pray that you would apply this passage in Acts 23 to our hearts deeply this week. Help me to lead discussion wisely and well. Help our people to grow in the principles that we have outlined. Give them good reflection, good thought on these things in anticipation of our discussion. Help them to come with uh application 
with vulnerable sharing in mind, with earnest prayer as a priority, and help us as we think through what it would look like for our people to grow in prayer, to make wise, cunning decisions, but most of all, to entrust these things to you in prayer. And so we ask that you would do all these things for the glory of your Son. Amen. All right. I will talk to you guys next week. Another episode of the Groups Podcast. Bye.